0: is, why does freedom reign? <laughs> why does freedom reign? Because of Christ. Okay, as Christians we have to say because of Christ, because of the blood that he shed for us. Why do we have freedom in this country? Because of the blood that was shed. Okay, same reason, because of the blood that was shed. Yeah. 245 years ago, July 4th, 1776, The Declaration of Independence was signed and presented eventually to King George saying that we're no longer your colonies. We declare our freedom, our independence from you. And April 19th, 1775 was, most of you have heard of it as the shot that was heard around the world, Lexington, is the British troops were going to seize arms and gunpowder and the colonial militia said, not today. They stood their ground and what we know now is the American War for Independence started. We declared our imp- independence a little over a year later, July 4th, 1776. But just because we declared our independence, did it happen? No. no. Okay. It took another seven years yep. of fighting. September 3rd, 1783, the Treaty of Paris was formally signed, ending the conflict between Britain and her former colonies that became the United States of America. Part of the blood that was shed so that we could stand here today, dance freely, set up fireworks, have family gatherings, was over 6,800 men died in action trying to gain our freedom. 6,100 were wounded and the more staggering number to me is that they estimate that over 20,000 colonial men were taken prisoner. 9,000 of them died while they were in prison because of a disease and malnourishment and mistreatment. So there was a high price paid so that we could celebrate this day as a day of independence. And I am not going to do it, but I have a copy of the Declaration of Independence right here. Okay, I'm going to refer to it. But in my other hand, this is also a Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Okay. the word of god is freeing if it's applied you can't just say i'm free you have to understand the cost that was paid you have to understand what jesus did on the cross so to our founding fathers you know we thank them for the sacrifices they made you know the men that gave their lives gave their blood the women that did the same and one of the things that you've heard me say time and time again is this country was founded on biblical principles. Amen. Amen. That's yeah? Right. Yeah, that's I don't care what people say today. <laughs> if you right. look at the history, if you read the history, our founding fathers built this country and f- laid a foundation on Christian principles. Amen. And right here is a good example of how they did that. Yes. Again, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but our founding fathers said that apart from the love of Christ, from the, f- the, the father, this country isn't going to succeed. It'll fail. Yeah. And so in the opening of the Declaration of Independence, there's, in the first paragraph, there are two mentions of God. Um, I'm just going to read the abbreviated portion. A nation to assume separate and equal station to which laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. So again, right there saying that we have equal station with the other nations of the world because of the laws of nature and nature's God. So they used a lot of different terms for God and one of them is nature's God. And then the one part that most people are very familiar with is we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator. creator with certain unalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm actually, I'm going to say, I'm quite disappointed in a lot of you. I say that partially joking nobody noticed my tie. It's the Declaration of Independence. Thank you. The Declaration of Independence is written right on my tie. So afterwards, if you want to come take a closer look at it, make me happy. All right. At the ending of the Declaration of Independence, in the closing paragraph, Um, the founding father said, we the representatives of the United States of America appeal to the supreme judge of the world. The supreme judge of the world. And in the last sentence, in support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And 56 men put their name to that document. And a lot of them, because they put their names on this document, their fortunes were lost because they helped fund the revolution. They helped fund the fight that we had. And so they not only put their name on this thing, they literally put their lives into it also. So that's part of the debt we have that we can say 245 years later, we have a great country because of what they started it as. So this country was founded and built on on the word God's Word, and it was also built on fasting and prayer, and I shared a number of examples last week where Founding Fathers called for days of fasting and prayer because of the struggles that were happening. So I covered tithing and fasting last week, foundational four, as you see the illustration up there. Um, all of these disciplines are key in our life to following Christ. And so today, the foundation that I'm going to be talking about is His Word, you know, again. If you have your Bible here, hold it up. Your Declaration of Independence, the Word of God. So that's what I'm going to be teaching about partially this morning is the Word. And what, what is the Word? Truth. Okay, it's truth. Okay, Love. Love. It's all different things. 66 books right in here. All of it is God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says... All scripture is God breathed. It's inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And one of the standing jokes in this country is what will guys never ask for? If you get something that has some assembly required, guys, what do you do with the instructions? Read them afterwards. The ah, thing isn't going together. Unfortunately, guys, I'm going to pick on you guys because that's who I am, is we do that with our lives. You know, one of the you know, acronyms that if you take Bible, you know, the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. We need to read this thing, the instruction manual, before we leave the earth. Okay? So again, all of you guys, read the instruction manual. It's got good stuff in it. It's going to help you figure things out that you've been muddling along with and why isn't this working? Well, because you're not doing it God's way. So we have to read the instruction manual. We have to read his word. Um, I want you to think of this thing and that's why I keep encouraging you guys. Make an effort to actually bring this with you. I know 97% of you have a Bible app or whatever. I want to see this thing becoming so precious to us that we don't want to leave home without it. That we take it with us wherever we go. And I mean, what better place to bring it than to church, right? Okay, Is learn it. Get into it. This is the thing that's going to change your life and explain to us what Christ did for us. So it needs to be precious for us. Not just when we have trials or struggles, oh, maybe I'll look at it now. If you look at it ahead of time, you're going to be better prepared for those struggles and trials. Last week I was talking about fasting, which is voluntarily refusing food. And Mm -hmm. most people, we don't like to miss even one meal, right? Okay. Thank you. Nobody likes to miss a meal if they don't have to. I mean, food is good. It's nourishing. It helps our body stay strong and healthy. But I was talking about Jesus, and Jesus fasted for 40 days after he was baptized. Do you think the man was hungry? (laughs) I think he was hungry. I mean, he was still part man. 40 days of fasting, I'm very sure he was hungry. Okay. Satan comes to him. What is the first thing Satan says? Take these stones and turn them into bread, if you're the son of man. Yeah, yeah. It is written. Take these stones, thank you, take these stones and turn them into bread. Okay? Jesus, being as hungry as he was, knew that there was something more important than food. And if you look in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Everybody turn to Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 4, and this is where the temptation has started. And Jesus answered and said, Don, what did it say? It is written. written. So Jesus is quoting something here. He's quoting the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8 and verse 3. And this is when... God is speaking to the Hebrew nation, and he's been feeding them with manna. They've been wandering in the wilderness. He feeds them manna, the bread from heaven. And in verse 3 of Deuteronomy 8, it says, Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when Jesus spoke back to Satan, saying, It is written, he was quoting the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. And so when he says this, he says, what is more important than bread is the word of God. Is it, It's the word of God that should sustain us, that makes us strong, that makes us healthy. We do need physical food, but more importantly, because the most important parts of us isn't this thing here. The flesh, the body that you have right now, that's just the wrapper that your soul and your spirit are contained right, in. So it's good to ca- take care of this thing. So that we can be about the Father's business, do the things that he's created us to do. But we also need to pay attention to the soul and the spirit. And the things that nourish the soul and the spirit? The word of God. So Jesus' response to Satan and all the temptations was, it's written. And he was quoting back the words that he had spoken thousands of years before that. So just as a physical body requires nourishment, our soul and spirit require the word of God to grow and to have life. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow. So just as a newborn baby needs its mother's milk to thrive and to grow, we need to think of ourselves that same way, that if you're a new Christian, you're... It said you're born again, right? You're a little baby. It doesn't matter how age you are, physically or chronologically, if you've given your life to Christ today, you're a baby. You need the milk of the word. You don't need steak and potatoes. That's you need right. milk. You need things that will help you grow to the point where you're going to be able to desire the heavier things, the deeper things. So his word is something that we need to be into every single day. You know? If you were not permitted to eat for the next week, okay, you go home this afternoon, have your barbecues, your family gatherings, eat a nice big meal, and then we tell you, you're, you're not allowed to eat until next Sunday. How are you going to feel by next Sunday? Okay. A forced fast, you know, even if you didn't want to. If we were able to have that much control over your lives and say, you will not eat for another week, you're going to drag in here next week. Yeah. You're going to look unhealthy. You're not going to feel good. Okay? But how many of us do that spiritually? Is that we don't take a bite of this thing every single day. We wait until Sunday to hear the word of God again. This is something that needs to be part of our daily routine, part of our daily intake to feed the spirit, to feed the soul. Another good reason to read the word, to hear the word, is, again, turn to John chapter 14 if you would. The Gospel of John, chapter four, fourteen. 14, excuse me, verse 26. And those of you that are in the ISM classes with me, this one you hear all the time. And it's one of my challenges I make to them, is I ask the class, and I think I may have asked you guys at this point, this question, is how many of you have read your entire Bible? From the book of Genesis through Revelation, you've read all 66 books. Okay. Okay, good. It's something that we all need to do. The reason for that is because of what it says in John chapter 14, verse 26. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Pretty good verse, right? The Holy Spirit's going to teach us all things, and he will bring back all the things to your remembrance, whatever I've said to you. Pretty good promise, isn't it? That when we need the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to our remembrance. But the only way the Holy Spirit can bring something back to our remembrance is what? If we've heard it. If we've read it. And so, 66 books, thousands of words, that if you've read them, you may not be able to recite to me one thing out of the book of Leviticus. Okay, But if you've read it, The Holy Spirit can bring it back to your remembrance at a time when you need it. But only if you've put it inside of yourself. So read the word. Not just your favorite parts. Not just the popular ones like the book of John. But dig into Deuteronomy. Because Jesus quoted it, there must be something good in there. So don't just read certain passages. Get the whole word into you. So what should we do with the word? i got five things I'm going to cover with you right now that we should be doing with the Word of God. The first one is read the Word of God. Already covered that a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 again. We need to desire the Word of God like a newborn baby desires the mother's milk. Pretty simple. We need to have a desire to get into the Word. Second thing I want you to do is memorize the Word. Psalm 119.11 says, Your Word I have hid in my heart. And the reason that that's important, because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you've hid God's Word in your heart, you've memorized it, it's written on the tablets of your heart. And so when the time is needed, what's in your heart can come back out through your mouth. But you have to have it in there first. The third thing you need to do is meditate on the Word. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 say, Blessed is the one whose delight is the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. And so what is meditation? It's not an Eastern mysticism thing, which is what most of you have probably heard, unfortunately, at this point. It is meditation is to think carefully about something. It is you read a passage of scripture and keep reading it over and over again. You know, maybe maybe today the only verse you read is first Peter two two. But then you keep thinking about it. You think about it from different angles. You think about it, what exactly does that word mean? Is you dig into it a little deeper because there's a deeper meaning possibly that God wants to reveal to you. But only if you spend time thinking about it. Um, a similar Greek word that is, is to meditation is rumination. Farmers, what is rumination? <laughs> Cows have multiple stomachs. And they will ruminate, they'll eat, you know, some hay, some grass, goes into one stomach, It's digested for a little while. hope this isn't grossing anybody out. But then they send it to the other stomach and they digest it a little more, a little differently. And they just basically keep th- throwing it around from stomach to stomach. They ruminate, they meditate on it over a long time to get as much nutrition out of it as they possibly can. And so when you read a verse of scripture, don't just read it through one time and say, oh, that was good. Ruminate on it. Meditate on it a little bit so you can get as much spiritual nourishment out of it as there possibly is that God wants to give you. So meditate on the word. The fourth thing you need to do is study the word. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says, Study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who need not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So study the word find out i mean sometimes digging into what the greek word the hebrew word means will give you a better understanding of what jesus was actually saying at that time Um, you know just the thing i shared earlier in matthew 4 4 where jesus said it's written okay all of you have read that at one point or another i'm sure because that john's a popular or matthew's a book that most people have read but how many of you knew that he was quoting from the book of deuteronomy so i mean that doesn't change what jesus said but it gives you a better understanding that the Old Testament is the foundation for what the New Testament brings us. And so in understanding and having read the Old Testament, you're going to understand the New Testament even better. They go together, obviously, or God wouldn't have packaged them in 66 books like this. So study the Word. The last thing that I'm going to say we need to do on that is we need to teach the Word. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 Go and make disciples of all nations. You've all heard that part, right? And what we did today, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So when Jesus says to go and make disciples of all the nations, that includes every single one of us, the influences we have, the people you work with, whatever it happens to be. Go and teach all nations. Go teach all people make disciples of them, baptize them in the name of the Lord, and also teach them his commandments. So every single one of you is called to be a teacher. If you want to fulfill the Great Commission, you need to be a teacher. So teach the word. So that's foundational principle number three, um, the word. A couple things to end it with is John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69. And this is right after the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus is given the hard teaching of you must eat my body and drink my blood. And a lot of them didn't like it and said, we're out of here. And the disciples said, you know, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? And Peter, Jesus asked them, he said, are you going to leave too? Speaking to the disciples. And Peter answered him, Lord, where are we going? Where do we go? If we leave you, there's nothing else. They understood what they were walking with. And go back just a little bit further into John chapter 6, verse 58. Jesus said, whoever eats the bread shall live forever, or eats this bread. And one of the things that Jesus said about himself, I am the, the bread of life. And so when Jesus told them, you must eat of my body because it's the bread of life, he was again referring to a spiritual truth here, is that he is the word. That when we say this is the word of God, Jesus is the word of God. And the word is life. Apart from the word of God, we have no life. And so we need to be eating it. We need to be partaking of it every single day. And so when Jesus said, or when you know, Lord where shall we go, you have the words of eternal life. Peter was speaking a bigger truth than he realized at that time. Because apart from the word of God, apart from the word, we have no eternal life. So the freedom that we can sing about today is because of what Jesus did on our behalf. His blood was shed so that we could have freedom to stand here and worship him today. So the blood is all important. So the word of God, one of the foundational truths we have. Um, If you guys could put that picture up of George Washington, if we have that. And again, very famous picture here. um, Painting of George Washington outside Valley Forge, praying. So again, just one more point to our founding fathers believed in the power of prayer. They spent time apart from their troops from the battle, seeking God's guidance. And so... Probably thousands of books have been written on prayer. I'm sure, you know, some of you have read one or two of those books at one time or another. Um, the words "pray," "praying," "prayed," are in the Bible 375 times, so it's mentioned a lot. Prayer is important. So, have you ever asked the question, actually, what is prayer? Anybody want to answer that? What's prayer? Okay. Yeah, you know, I mean. There, Prayer takes on a lot of different forms. It can mean a lot of different things. But the basic understanding I always have had is you're talking to God. Uh, When I was very, I shouldn't say very young, I was younger, um, my mother-in-law was telling me about praying. I was a new Christian at that time, and Ann and I were just dating. And she said prayer is when she sits at her table in the morning with a cup of coffee and just imagine Jesus sitting across the table from her. And she just holds a conversation with him. Pretty simplistic, but that's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be some high and mighty thing that you have to get yourself all worked up for. And I want to give you a little illustration. Let's see, I think she left, so I'm I'm good. (laughs) Dear Anne. My wife's name is Anne, anybody that does not know that. Dear Anne, oh, Mm. (laughs) hmm. I will choose my words very carefully. Dear Anne, thank you for walking into my life 34 years ago. Thank you for marrying me 32 years ago. You are the mother of my five children. I need you to make me pies and chocolate chip cookies. Let's grow old together. You are beautiful. I love you rich. Okay. Anne and I have been married over 32 years now, just celebrated our anniversary a week ago. If that's all I said to her every single day for the last 32 years, how would our relationship be today? <laughs> wouldn't have much of a relationship, would we? Probably wouldn't have five kids. Okay. My point is, Prayer shouldn't just be a list that you read off. It's something that should be coming from your heart. It's going to be your fears. It's going to be your complaints. It's going to be your questions. It's going to be your praises. Prayer is all of those things. It's you talking to God and bringing whatever it is in your life that you don't have an qu- answer for. Prayer isn't supposed to be some you know, ritualistic thing. And I'll actually say Jesus warns us about being ritualistic in our prayers. If you will, again, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And this is a place where the disciples were asking Jesus to teach them to pray. And everybody knows this next section, but Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Jesus is saying, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. So why were the Pharisees and the Sadducees praying? To get recognized. For people to say, oh, look at that holy man standing out there praying. He's probably praying for us. He's doing such good things. But Jesus said, don't be like them. You know, go into your closet, he says, and hide yourself. And the Father that sees in secret will reward you openly because you've spent time communing with him, praying with him. And he says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you even ask him. And so he says in verse 9, after this manner, like this, don't think that the Lord's Prayer is the ticket to all the questions you have. Jesus said pray like this. It was an example, it was a template. He was saying, they asked him teach us to pray and he said this is an example of it. Uh So don't think just by reciting the Lord's Prayer over and over again that you're gonna have spiritual breakthrough. Um, I was again young and in high school, didn't know the Lord at that point and one of the things that we did before every football game was we knelt as a team and we said the Lord's Prayer. I was fine with that. You know, Might bring us good luck is what I saw. It's like, okay, now I know better. Just reciting the Lord's Prayer over and over again and not really paying attention to the words has very little benefit to us. God wants to hear your heart. He doesn't want to hear the example that Jesus gave. He wants you to understand this was an example how to magnify the Lord, how to bring your petitions to him. So don't just repeat it over and over again, like I said, if, I, if that's how I spoke to Anne every day for the last 34 years, I don't think we would have made it. Is that right? Correct. <laughs> Correct. OK have a lot of pie, <laughs> I think today's a good day for pie. So, yeah, I may be fasting after this. (laughs) So, again, if we prayed to God like that, just a list of things that we've copied down from somewhere else, our relationship with the Father would be very shallow. We wouldn't know how to lean on Him with all of our understanding. Prayer should be our heart coming out to God, a vulnerability that you need to have, that, you know, husbands and wives... You have to have a vulnerability with each other to trust each other enough to say, this hurts me. What you said didn't set right with me. The things that we're doing, they're not right. I mean, we need to have that transparency, that ability to be open with each other. And if we're not, the relationship is not good. So that's how our relationship with God needs to be. is we have to pray like our lives depend on it. Just a couple of statements that I was writing down the one worship night we had. Um, prayer from the heart delights God. Prayer from our heart grieves Satan. I also want you. Prayer. I want you to think of prayer as a tool. It releases the authority of Christ. It can bring understanding. It opens doors. It closes doors when we pray. It says the things that we ask for on earth. What happens in heaven? Prayer is a weapon. One of the common terms for people that pray a lot is what? Prayer warriors. Okay, so prayer is a weapon. It's a tool that we need to take and bring into battle with us. Because we all understand we're still in a battle, right? Even though this is a very peaceful country for the most part there's still a battle going over that this place is not as good as it could be or as it should be and the spiritual battle that we're in and maybe you don't even recognize it we need to be praying we need to be praying for our leaders whether you like them or not we need to be praying for them because we're told in the Bible pray for those in authority over you and so if you accept this country as your home and you know the land of the free and the home of the brave then we need to be praying for those in authority over us. That God will touch their hearts. Can you imagine if a revival were to sweep through the House of Representatives? Wow. The Senate, the executive branch, the judicial branch. So be praying for our leaders. That God would touch their hearts. And again, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. But what does it say? Pray without ceasing. Or until you get tired. It doesn't say that, does it? Pray without ceasing. So simple instructions here that Paul gave the Thessalonians is that your life should be about prayer. Obviously, you're holding a conversation with somebody else. You don't just say, hold on, I need to pray. Okay. We all can multitask, right? You can hold a conversation with one person and have your mind praying at the same time? It's a discipline but we're told to do it. And Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, it says pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So again two different places Paul says pray without ceasing or pray always and do it in the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your prayers because there's times that you don't have a clue what you need to be praying for but the Holy Spirit does. And take you back, what, 14 years. 2007, we had a mission trip that a group of us went on to Kenya. And we were there. Donna was there with me, my wife, um, Holly, Rick, Dan, Um, and there were six of us. And we were going from southern part of Kenya up into the northern part of Kenya up to Pastor Peter's place. We were going from John Okinda's to Peter Sayakama's place and we we're going through this one relatively beautiful area called the Nandi Hills and we we're going up a pretty steep hill and the bus that we were in to this day I'm still sh- we hit something in the road and just to give you an idea you know the relatively steep grade that we were going up and off on you know 10 15 feet off the side of the road there's a pretty steep cliff and they actually have sugarcane growing up it and at one point we hit this thing the van breaks off to the left, swerves to the left, and I'm sitting on the left-hand side against the window. I always take the window seat, right, in? All I can see is green, is we're in the sugar cane field, and green's just slapping up alongside the left side of the bus. And the driver gets it stopped, fortunately, because when we get out of the bus and start looking around, we're about five, well, five feet. That's not five feet. I'm a fisherman, aren't I? <laughs> but we're about five feet from the blunt end of a guardrail. The guardrail had started, and it was a blunt end of it, a flat end. So we stopped a few feet before that, and we were literally on the side where if we'd gone two feet more, we'd probably been rolling down the side of the hill. Wow. Obviously, we're all here, intact. We get back, and we're sharing the story with a group of people one night, and one of the couple people actually said, what time did that happen? And we told them what time in the afternoon it was, so, well, God woke me up at Amen. 3 o'clock in the morning and had a burden to pray for you guys. Didn't know why, didn't know what for, just started praying. It was about that same time that we were on the edge of the cliff. Amen. And God still had a purpose for our lives. Here we are today. We were able to finish that trip off. So prayer, if God wakes you up in the middle of the night with a burden to pray, don't ask a lot of questions. Just start praying. Because you don't need to know why you're praying sometimes. You just need to know he's woke you up for a reason. Ask the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you. So pray like your life depends on it or like somebody else's life depends on it. Prayer is a privilege that we can do it because of what Christ did for us. So fasting, tithing, the word, prayer, the foundational four that we've been talking about... There are ways that we can deepen our relationship with Christ. We can build our life deeper into Christ by practicing these disciplines. And do you guys have the other slide of the two men sitting there? All right. If you know who the man on the left is, shout out his name. Okay. All right. I gave a little informal test here um, to my wife and a few other people. Almost everybody recognizes Billy Graham. A lot of people had a little trouble there with our 34th president. And any of you that are Eisenhower graduates, shame on you. (laughs) Dwight D. Eisenhower, 34th president. Um, This is another example I wanted to end with on how prayer and the word are important in our country. This was um, before um, Dwight Eisenhower's first inauguration. And he met with Billy Graham, you know, sometimes called America's pastor, evangelist of America. And he was asking for spiritual insight from Billy Graham on what verses to use in his inaugural address. And a couple of the verses that Billy Graham you know, recommended to him, he ended up choosing um, a verse out of Leviticus. If a nation humbles itself, it and yeah. turns back to God. I'm misquoting it now, but I didn't write it down. but. There's another example that in his inaugural address one of the leaders of our country said we're built on a spiritual foundation, a Christian foundation, and he wanted to quote it. There you go. Diane's got it down. So the example that we have from Christ is that it's about the blood. It's about the word. It's about making these things a regular part of your life and not just, again, fasting for seven days on the Word and coming here on Sunday morning and getting a filling of it. That's what needs to happen. That's what I'm up here. I'm trying to present the Word, the things that God's laid on my heart. But if you're not doing this very thing, getting into the Word, the other six days of the week, you're killing yourself spiritually. You're not allowing yourself to thrive in the things that God wants you to thrive in. So as we leave here today and we go all enjoy, you know, parades, picnics, fireworks, whatever else is going on, is keep in mind the reason we have, the freedom to do those things. Because the sacrifice that was made, not only by the men in the revolution and subsequent wars and all the things that have happened to keep us a free country, but the most important thing is what happened right there on the cross. Yeah. It's all about the blood of Christ. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever make that secondary to anything else in your life that the word of God needs to be preeminent it needs to be the most important thing in your life that for this place to become the body that God wants it to be is we all have to grow up. We all have to mature in Christ so that when people walk through those doors that are desperate for answers, that they're addicted, that they're being beaten down by the world, by Satan, we need to be the ones that can give them an arm around them to say, I know what you're going through. Because every single one of us is a sinner. Yeah. Amen. Okay, we know that in the scriptures it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every single one of us was, is a sinner. So when someone walks through those doors, don't look down on them. That's right. Because we were all there. That's right. The only reason that we're sitting here, the only reason we're standing here right now is because of what Christ has done in our lives. And like Gavin said up there in the baptismal before that, is that the family was in disarray. You know, Things weren't working out. And just because you give your life to Christ doesn't mean all of a sudden everything gets great, does it? No. Just like the revolution. We declared our independence, and the British said, so what? We had to fight it out. We had to prove to them that our independence was truly what we wanted. And people had to spend their fortunes, they had to spend their lives to buy us that independence. So Christ declared the exact same thing. If you want independence, the independence is in my blood. But there's still work that I have to do. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. But in Christ, we are striving to become more holy, more righteous in Christ. Apart from him and his leading, It's not going to happen. So as we go out of here today, remember that the word is important. It's vital. It's your lifeline. It's the instruction manual for time here on this earth. Knowing that God will reveal all truth to us someday when we stand before him is great. But don't wait until then to learn a little bit more of his truth. Read the instruction manual. Make it a part of your daily diet. And remember that without it, you're malnourished. So, if you would, let's stand and close in prayer. We have the freedom to stand and worship him, right? So, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the freedom that this country enjoys and is blessed with because of those that came before us, that laid down their lives, laid down their finances to make this a country that is still the greatest nation on this earth Lord I pray that you will turn hearts back to you that the word will soften hearts that it will break through barriers in the local level all the way up through our leaders in this country Lord that you will just break hearts and turn this nation back to you that we can again become a beacon to the world a city on a hill that people desire to come to not because of the prosperity, but because of the freedom in Christ. Lord, we just give you the thanks. We give you the glory and the honor for all that you have done and that you are going to do as you continue to walk this life out with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. You guys have a blessed day. Enjoy it.